This is Artist Stories, a podcast that centers experiences of artists whose lives have left a lasting impact on Southern Arizona. I'm Ami Robles, and today we welcome Prudence Cates, filmmaker, sound producer, and Borderlands advocate. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us on Artist Stories. I'm so happy that you're here. I miss you so much, but we'll get to that later. Introduce yourself. Uh, tell us about yourself a little. First of all, me, te extraño mucho también. I was so touched and flattered to be asked to contribute to this wonderful podcast. I really admire the work that your organization does. I, I'm, I'm kind of blushing. <laughs> I feel humbled. I'm sitting right now in my house. I currently am living in Philadelphia, and I, I feel very humbled that I can uh, tell my story about how Southeast Arizona, Northeast Sonora, Mexico, how it's just become a very important part of my life and how I, I really want to share it with other people. I'm so happy that you get to tell your story. When we were thinking of someone to interview, we were like, mm, someone important, someone that has done something for the borderlands. And I was like, Prudence, we have to interview Prudence. Anyways, tell us a little bit about your your backstory. How did it mm. all start? Mm. I have had a very uh, wandering, meandering path. I am originally from Tennessee, but I moved to New York mm -hmm. City in 2004 to go to uh, college for art. I've, I played around with a lot of different things, but I focused on photography. I became really interested in photographing uh, these kind of wild spaces that you would see sometimes in New York City, these vacant lots that where grasses oh. are growing or, you know, there's something, you might think it's abandoned, but there's also something a little mm -hmm. different. It's, uncontro it's uncontrolled. It's, um, yeah. It has its own life, um, and that was something kind of fascinating to me because I've, I've been fascinated by cities for a long time, but I've also just been fascinated by nature, and I like to see these kind of overlapping moments where they, they meet. My fascination with cities, <laughs> I went to school again for urban planning, again in New York City. I went to, uh, it's called Hunter College, and I, I got a degree in urban planning. I actually worked Uh, for a New York City housing agency, um, making maps, doing data analysis. Really enjoyed wow. what I was doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I had this other life where I was also working on my first documentary film with my collaborator, a collaborator of mine. His name is William Lehman. Uh, we were inspired to make a story about New York City, a city that we love and um, that neither of us live there anymore, actually. Yeah, we read this book by this author named Robert Fitch. It's a hardcore book, and, and basically it tells the story of New York starting, or, I mean, it had always been this vibrant place where different, where immigrants could come from, people with different, speaking different languages, different classes of people, rich and poor, but that starting in the 20th, early 20th century, uh, people, rich people were trying to figure out how do we get the poor people out of the city. And this became a different film because we realized, oh, this is too large. This is a film that would be some kind of multi-series, I don't know, like a history channel on National Geographic mm -hmm. documentary. It was too ambitious and we were doing this in our free time. It was a labor of love. The name of the book is actually The Assassination of New York. Anyways, I remember the 2008 financial crash 
2011, mm-hmm. around the world as Occupy Wall Street as a response um, because people were really upset how these huge banks, these huge insurance agencies that got completely bailed out by this taxpayer money. And it was, oh my God. it was, it was decimating. It destroyed the worldwide uh, economy. It was so hard yeah. to find a job. I actually graduated college around then, but I was lucky. I had a lot of connections. Um, I was working a little bit as a photographer and also working for various artists as a studio manager. But I was really frustrated by how these vibrant cities were were changing and becoming these playgrounds for the rich. And I saw a lot of connections with the way the financial world was acting too. And basically, in a nutshell, we wanted to create a film that countered this narrative that, oh, you know, it's just accident how some areas become for rich people or it's just yeah uh, evolution you know like because <laughs> that's something i thought too that like oh things just change uh naturally for a lack of a better word and i'm not trying to say this from a conspiratorial point of view i don't think there's like <laughs> one large entity i just think there's a lot of that richer people have the ear of power and it's easier for them to, to change the city. So um, to go back to your original question, I've been very meandering around. We, I, I had never made a feature documentary. My collaborator, William Lehman, he's a film editor. He'd worked on a lot of films, but he had never directed. Um, but mm-hmm. we were like, we need to tell this story. We love this city and we want to tell a story about how people are being pushed out. Poor people are being pushed out. And we realized... There's a contemporary story that was happening right now. People were telling us about where there was an area near where the Mets baseball team uh, plays. And it's in Queens, New York City. Really interesting, vibrant immigrant neighborhood. But the specific place is called Willits Point. It's an area that a, a lot of the property was city owned, but was very neglected by the city itself. If you went there, you're seeing cinder blocks. So you're just seeing concrete, concrete bricks stacked with a tin roof. Most places didn't have a bathroom. Uh, so it, you wouldn't expect to see this in New York City. It, it was just very, very surprising. The, the roads hadn't been paved in maybe 20 years. And um, it was an area, because it was so cheap, a lot of auto body shops, a lot of people who specialized in repairing cars in various ways. It was a really interesting mix of people. They created this ecosystem that they all worked and fixed cars and people would come from different states to drive in this really horrible road conditions because New York City wasn't upkeeping the road to get their cars fixed because it was the best <laughs> Everybody knew each other. It was just a blast. And um, it felt almost like a town, like its own little town. Yeah, its own little community. Yeah. So we focused on that because the city, they had just built a new Mets stadium. And then they decided, you know what? Even though there's this area that employs more than 300 auto body shops um, and car repair places, you're going to make way more money than if you're working in fast food or, mm. I don't know, you know, there's, they said, what? we're going to destroy this area and we're going to turn it into a mall. And that's, 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 so the film became a focus on that. This is a real life story about how vibrant, thriving immigrant neighborhood, uh, people are able to feed their families uh, and contribute and, you know, live their lives and not be on the edge. And New York City wanted to just destroy, they just wanted um, to destroy that place. I'm pretty sure you started filming like around 2015, 2016, and it came out in 2017, right? Yeah, we 
first started filming a little earlier, but the focus became more in 20, 2013, 14, 15. Oh, that was happening at that time. Do, do you know what happened after that? Like, I don't want to spoil the, the, <laughs> the film or anything, but... They, so a, a coalition of workers, they're called the Sunrise Collective. They were fighting against the city and they were also working to try to get relocated as a collective. They lost. Oh my God. The area is still mostly empty now. A lot of the, sh there's still a few shops left actually, but a lot of the shops have been forced to leave, but nothing else has been built. It's, it's just a tragic, I actually, it was a learning experience also for myself because I'm a white woman. I'm not even from the city. Um, I mean, most of the people we were interviewing and telling the stories, they weren't originally from New York City either, but they had lived mm -hmm. in the communities longer. Yeah. And I'm telling a story of the people we ended up following were mostly Central South American. And it felt, it felt kind of wrong to, I mean, it's hard to tell these kind of stories that don't have a happy ending. We, the film premiered at the Doc NYC, a documentary film festival in 2017. We invited as many people as we could from Let's Point. And then we just gave, yeah. you know, during the Q and A section, we gave the mic to them. Um, wow. Some of them, yeah, it was great. Some of them, uh, they don't feel as comfortable speaking in English. But luckily, one of their nephews was there. I think he was, I want to say it was 15. Maybe he was a little older. But it was great because he's like, you know, answering all. It was a packed house. It was a full theater. It was playing at IFC, um, Independent Film Center. So, and it was, it was big. It was a great, it was a great, it was a great turnout. It was really, really amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and I was happy to hear that they were happy. So I started off saying that I fell into filmmaking because I wanted I thought that would be a good way to do storytelling and I wanted a way yeah. to tell tell people this is something that's happening right now we don't have to take for granted and we can sh we can help change but it's so it's really hard I'm still trying to figure out how to navigate that because also when you're working on a feature film especially when you're working low 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 micro budget um you're not telling the story at the same time as it's happening which is a learning process I've just seen the the trailer honestly but After everything you're telling me, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and watch as soon as we finish this episode. And you know what I just realized, Prunes? We haven't tell everyone the name of the film. Iron Triangle, Willett's Point, and the Remaking of New York. Yes, thank you. The Iron Triangle, Willett's Point, and the Remaking of New York. Okay, oh, is this so, a kitty? Yeah. Oh my God, can you hear my cat? Meowie. <laughs> There is a version on YouTube that's free to watch, but I, I have a version, I don't know if it's the same one, that it is translated fully in Espanol and English. So all the parts where someone's speaking in English, there's subtitles in Espanol. And if someone's speaking in English, there's subtitles in Espanol. That's perfect. Uh, thank you, Prudence, for, for sharing that. And I hope... Um, Everyone who listens to this episode gets the chance to watch the documentary. Share a link. I'll make sure to make it public and I'll, I'll share a link. And if there's a way you can, you know, awesome. I'd be happy to, I would love, I'd love people to see it. Um, because it's also, I will also say it's, even though the story doesn't have a happy ending, I think the, the fierceness of the people fighting for their livelihoods and also they just love New York City. It's, it's you no, know, these are real people and they're still continuing to live their lives. That's, um, and they're, they're powerful people whose stories need to be told. And there's some great histories that are told as well. We also talk with other experts about, um, city planning and how it's historically hurt 
for people. That was perfect. I just wanted to say that it's very inspiring and the fact that the community from Willett's point was able to uh, go up on stage and talk about their situation and that, that was so brave. And I, I'm glad you gave them that opportunity so that that platform to be able to talk about what, what was going on and what keeps on going on. And this this feature film is like, it's it's history. I think you did a great job there. So thank you for, for your services as a filmmaker. Ah, thank you, Ani. I appreciate that. So yeah, I will just briefly say that it was really hard working full time and uh, finishing the film. Um, I was really lucky to get, we were, Will and I were really lucky to get a grant, and we were also really lucky that we had amazing people who helped work with us, collaborators. Um, but yeah, it was hard work, and I thought I was done with filmmaking. I made a film that was hard. Okay, I got that in my system. Now I can just grow up. <laughs> now I can just live my life. Uh, but that didn't happen. I decided I wanted to go to film school. I knew I didn't have a lot of money and I didn't want to take out loans. So I applied to the school called Temple University, which is in Philadelphia. So yeah, I moved fall 2019. I got into Temple. I moved there. Uh, it was a big deal leaving New York City. I'd been there for 15 years and I was ready to go into film school and make films with all my friends. And this thing, the pandemia happened. Yeah. <laughs> this pandemic happened. Oh my God. <laughs> Always ruining things. Well, ruining and then also creating opportunities. Hey, I wanted to ask you, so you're telling us all these amazing stories in New York in the east coast so my question is how you end up here in the borderlands in, in in this area like what what happened so back when i was working in new york city um even though i was an urban planner and i'm uh very city focused in both the films i make and the work i was doing uh i i've also always just had this love for nature i used to be a amateur bird watcher. I used to be able to identify a lot of bird species back in Tennessee, part of the Tennessee Ornithological Society. And I, I cared a lot about the world that we lived in and, I, and also about environmental racism and the overlaps between the people who lived in this world and then also the nature who's, that was impacted or in the environment that's impacted. It's these same areas that are attacked. Former President Trump was elected on this, one of his platforms, unfortunately was as we all know, is build the wall. I was. I remember when he announced this emergency in 2018. I think I'm listening to NPR or something like that, declaring the border an emergency, and that will immediately, they're going to immediately start building a border wall. And I didn't know that much about on the federal level of planning, but mm -hmm. I did know. Usually, you have to go through a whole process of sharing information with people, like a whole public process. Um, doing a huge project takes years and years and years and that I was like how was he gonna build a ball wall so quickly how how can yep. how can he do that how how is that possible that doesn't seem legally the way that various systems work on various levels I'm sure not just on the federal government but on the Arizona state or county side or not just Arizona all the border states um, why why was 
why was this possible? And in, in learning more about it, I was just freaked out. Um, learning about this obscure statute, basically, that was passed in 2005 mm-hmm. under um, President Bush Jr. administration. This is in the wake of 9-11. And they passed these series of laws that it was, it was one law and it was one of those things where it's one law that has a bunch of things all bundled into it. Or these other things that were in it, one of them was this kind of crazy rule that said the head of the Department of Homeland Security, so the the head is called the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, they can give the authorization to waive um, W-A-I-V-E, which means to ignore. The head of the Department of Homeland Security has the authorization to do away with any law that would get in the way of building uh, border barrier or border roads. Oh and my god. It's crazy. This this waiver af- affects us all. Usually if you're doing a big project, there are all these rules under Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, public process that you have to do. Once an emergency is declared, like what Trump did and others did before him, I when I started to learn about that, you could do away with laws that protect um, people impacted by construction, do away with laws that would protect um, sacred indigenous lands protect burial sites. Um, do away with laws that would that mandate reporting. Do away. Yeah. So basically, this is all done in secret. It's there's no oversight at all. And I was just I was aghast. And then when the this was something I just always paid attention to. And then when the pandemic happened, everything is online. I'm going to grad school, but it's all online. I'm a teaching assistant, but it's all online. I'm sitting on my butt. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I went to film school to meet other people to collaborate to I actually wanted to work on fiction film because I'd never done that before. And I can't. Mm-hmm. I literally can't right now. I'm just we can't even check out equipment because this is, you know, early in the pandemic. You didn't know if you touched something, what did that get transmitted? I, I just started following obsessively online of these amazing activists like Tohono Atham, people who were, um, for example, who were fighting against the wall that when it was first, it was kind of starting in Arizona going kind of more like west to east in these areas where it hadn't been built before. One area, um, which is a, called the National Monument is Oregon Pipe. So National Monument, I've learned a lot working on this film, but the National Monument is like, it's under, it's under National Park. It doesn't seem to have the same kind of sexiness for lack of a better word, (laughs) but it's still in the National Park system. By the time I visited it, uh, it was just so sad seeing this destruction, but I was seeing in summer 2020, you know, Tohono Atham people leading these, these protests uh against construction they were literally being tear gassed i mean they were being tear gassed by department of homeland security people this area is right next to almost kind of part of tohono atham nation um it's a meeting place for the indigenous people that span i mean it's not just southern arizona but um northern mexico so it there's a the springs these sacred water sites it's called quito it is still called quito Paquito Springs, and it got destroyed and to build the wall. But they were trying to protect it, um, and they were being tear gassed, and it was just, and they're being arrested. And just learning how there's that that on the border, it's it's like its own state of exception. And um, I decided I need to go see this for myself. So I did research. I contacted this one photographer, videographer named John Kirk, who was 
doing amazing documentation of this one area in southeast Arizona, very close to the New Mexico border, very close to Chihuahua. It's almost, I didn't realize that there's almost another Four Corners. People talk about the Four Corners of the United States, Uh Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, but Chihuahua, Sonora, New Mexico, Arizona, they're almost the Four Corners. I mean, there's like a few kilometers difference, like, I don't know, Uh 20 kilometers maybe. But it's pretty close. Wow, I didn't the, know that. And it's just such a it's a it's a beautiful, beautiful area because of the Sierra Madre Mountains. Um, there's so much diet biodiversity. I had zero idea about any of those, by the way. I didn't know about any of those. I just was like, they're blowing up mountains. What the hell? This is in the middle of nowhere. Crazy. What what is That's going crazy. on? Is what yeah, I need to go see this. So I, I connected with this activist photographer, John Kirk. I arrived at the Douglas Motel 6 in early January, 2021. And I didn't know what to expect. I had been following from afar, but it was a different thing to arrive. I think I didn't know the desert would be cold. <laughs> <laughs> and I also just didn't know the desert is so, the desert is not one thing. There's so many different kinds, and it's so beautiful. And the area, I mean, the area where you're from, Agua Prieta and Douglas, um, yeah. it's high. I didn't know it was that high up. The I didn't know what a high desert meant. I mean, parts of mm-hmm. Tucson are like that, too, though. I just I just fell, I fell in love with the area. I also got connected with uh, this amazing organization called Frontera de Cristo, and I didn't realize, I had no idea about how migrants were being treated I mean, at that time, I knew a little bit about Title 42, which has just ended, but I didn't really know what that meant. And I also didn't even know that people, that every, a, a lot of everyday people who lived in Mexico couldn't even cross into the United States unless they like yeah. had permission to work or other kinds of permission. How is this even, it, and they said it was to prevent the spread of COVID, yet they weren't doing anything else. It, it just seemed very racist to me. It was crazy because uh, people from the United States were still able to come to Mexico, like back and forth. So, like, how is that right. preventing? <laughs> how is that preventing the virus from going mm-hmm. everywhere? So yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was weird. Really weird. And I think it, I actually remember reading how it impacted the economy on the United States side. But a lot of people living in in Sonora they would go shop they go to Arizona to shop they you know they're spending money and then they go back home so when that happened they <laughs> people in the United States are losing all this money <laughs> yeah like why why would you do that so I also I also started to learn about these policies that I thought were being just not just against the earth that were being done in secret because the way these mountains were being blasted as I said it was it was up to activists like John Kirk or another organization that I got connected with, uh, Sky Island Alliance, Center for Biological Diversity, which is a national organization, but they have an office based in Tucson, um, the Wildlands Network. Uh, it was just up to these different organizations to actually track the construction of the wall because nobody on the mm-hmm. government side was doing it and t- or giving any information. And I'm learning about that. And then I'm also learning about how our neighbors, our family, they're being, one side is being excluded. And as you just said, the other people could go in, <laughs> yeah. go in and out as they wanted. And um, yeah, it just blew my mind. It, it for lack of a better word, um, I had no idea I'm, where I was, you know, the Northeast liberal 
cities of Philadelphia, New York City. You know, we would talk trash about Trump and like, ah, oh, the border wall, it sucks, it's <laughs> money, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't know how it actually impacted. I didn't know how it made it ugly where people were living, how it also just created more militarization. A friend I made and collaborator, um, Sebastian Leva Sabe, he told, he talked about, you know, how uh, Nogales, he's from Nogales Ambos, so that's, he's Mexican, but it's like both sides. This is something that I learned Mm -hmm. from him. How it became more militarized. I remember, I remember when all these trucks started bringing the concertina wire. Like I would go for a walk. I live like right in front of the border wall. And I was (laughs) like, I was just walking and I would start seeing all this barbed wire concertina wire. I was like, what? is this Mm. it looks so ugly if i wanted to like if i would get closer to the border i could like just cut my arm or something so after learning all of this finding out all this stuff is that when it hit you and you were like i have to document this Mm -hmm. that's when una linea film began yes exactly yeah it didn't have the name una linea i was thinking about it not just as a line but also as legal as not just a line drawn with a border physically but the lines of legal language that both create laws but also erase safety for people Um, going back Mm -hmm. to this real ID act and this waiver authority I think I I was just saying that I I needed I realized I wanted to tell this story not just to it this isn't a story I didn't think people where you live or people necessarily in Arizona even need to know about but this is a story where people who like liberal progressive people in New York City and Philadelphia like we need to know about these things we need to know what's yeah what's going on because this is actually affecting everyone. This is affecting all of us. It all spreads out. And I wanted to tell the story and I am working on telling the story. Thanks to, you know, I had the ability to travel and to work remotely. And I I then moved uh, to Bisbee, Arizona in summer 2021. I had the pleasure of meeting who became a collaborator of mine, uh, Sebastian Leva Save. He was a student at the University of Arizona and I connected with their film program. He was amazing to have on, as part of the team because he's just a badass guy and he's uh, also <laughs> very knowledgeable about the politics of Mexico, which was yeah. something I was still trying to learn. My Spanish is still really bad and so he was uh, able to conduct interviews in Espanol if that was needed. Another organization that I've filmed a few times that he's been present filming is called Cuenca Los Ojos. They're actually based in the Agua Prieta municipality. So they're an amazing organization that was founded in the United States, but based a series of branches, historical working ranches in Sonora and one in Chihuahua. And they are doing actually, they're both raising uh, cattle for meat. And I think one also in Chihuahua is bison or buffalo. Mm -hmm. But they also are doing restoration of the land, which is very, very important, especially in desert because actually the desert um, soil is fragile. And um, they're doing this really amazing work and they're directly impacted by the wall as well. Sebastian has been really amazing and and uh, conducting interviews there. And then I went back in August, 2021, when the newly built portion of the wall, just a little bit east of Douglas Agua Prieta, it had been a really heavy monsoon season. I think I heard people would say in Arizona that 2020 was a quote unquote non-soon, like there wasn't much rain in 2020. That's true. But then 2021, there was a lot of rain and this wall that was barely, a, I don't even think it was a year old. There are these gates that had been built for these washes. But yes, the, the force of this wash, it broke open these parts of the wall. They built these gates that were supposed to open up 
so the water could go through. But it broke the gates off, flew the gates actually into Sonora, actually into um, land that Cuenca Los Ojos runs. Um, and it's funny because Jose Manuel, who is the conservation director at Cuenca, we had spoken with him just a few months before. We had visited that exact same area in 2021. And he's like, this is not going to last very long. You can see how the wall was already changing. Another consequence of building something so quickly, you know, maybe you're not going to build it right. This was, this is the United States tax dollars. He kept saying like, oh, Mexico is going to build a wall, which of course course, not. (laughs) Why would they? Why would they? No, this is all of our money building this thing that continually needs to be repaired and maintained. (laughs) It's not like it's just built once and that's it. Um, I could go on and on about that. But this is actually where I first met um, you, actually in August 2021. Yeah, that's true. I remember that day. I don't know how I ended in Café Justo. Oh, yeah, I was was actually doing a a documentary about a muralist from Agua Prieta. So we were going to the Mm -hmm. places where she had her murals and then she was like yeah i have i have some paintings uh, some paintings in cafe justo let's go so i went in there and then i saw you and eric rodriguez and i remember i saw you too and i was like oh they looks like they look so professional i wonder what they're doing how how did we end up talking prunes i don't even remember it's funny because i had the same thought about you and your amazing mother oh yeah um, my mom was with me i thought you were i thought you were a team i mean you are a team but i thought you know what yeah. i mean like i didn't really... yeah <laughs> Trini is like she's an amazing she's an amazing human being she was um, driving but... me around because i didn't have a car and i was like mom please drive me she was like bye let's go let's go <laughs> yeah she's awesome like she's the best assistant you could ever ask for honestly he loves i think she loves it shout out to her she's just so curious i've since learned and been teaching at coach's college and they have an amazing ceramics department she makes pottery she's taking all sorts of classes i mean she's just i don't know if that's appropriate to say but muy chingon. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I I feel the same way about about my mom like she even took a couple of photography classes so she was actually helping me a lot with with the camera she knows how to do a lot of stuff so every time I need an assistant my first option it's always my mom (laughs) we're a great team so yeah Cafe Justo in Agua Prieta is an amazing place it's a nonprofit coffee shop connected run by Frontera de Cristo and they source the coffee directly from Chiapas from farmers there so many amazing people that I love work there and I just had a feeling I was like oh they, this must be I saw you were documenting these amazing murals I think I I think I started talking with you first because um you know I've been blessed to work with this this team of people but I still had so much to learn and I still wanted to meet other people especially like a badass woman I mean no offense to <laughs> no offense <laughs> to people <laughs> to other people but um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I just had a good, I just had a good, you just felt, I had a good feeling about you. We chatted, we exchanged information. Like my friend Febe, who also works at Cafe Husto, knew you too. And like, in just people knew who you were. And then the more I learned and you shared your work, the amazing work that you've done, you shared uh, some documentaries you did with Dugla Prieta, which um, mm-hmm. is like a cross-border group uh, that does 
really cool work. They run a farm. Yeah, they do a okay. lot of stuff. Permaculture. They do woodwork. It's a group of also badass women. <laughs> Actually, Janae has done a lot of projects about uh, Dula Prieta. So maybe for our next episode, <laughs> maybe we can <gasps> interview Janae and talk yeah. about Dula Prieta. But I saw your work. You shared work because you did this um, great docu, like kind of mini, kind of mini portraits. And mm -hmm. I love, I love the way you film. And I also loved a fiction film you did that I think actually kind of accurately puts how I started to learn how the United States was treating their neighbor of Mexico once upon a time in La Frontera. Is that the name of the <laughs> Yes, I'm embarrassed. I love it. I've, I've showed it to several. I've since have become an adjunct professor and I've showed this film several times. Um, oh my God, Prudit. <laughs> Great no, storytelling. Okay. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no. Right now, we're here to talk about you. This is a mutual love. <laughs> I'm telling you how we met. We met, yeah. and then you shared your work, and I was like, oh, whoa, this girl is for real. Okay. And uh, I guess I'll just briefly say that I had the pleasure of getting connected with this um, organization that is based in Arizona, but over the past few years since I've known them, they've really grown their work in Sonora as well. They're a conservation organization called Sky Island Alliance, based in Tucson, focusing on this area called the Sky Islands, which are thousands of feet, thousands of meters up in the air. These islands of kind of like pine forests, this different kind of environment, and then surrounded by the sea of desert or grassland. Um, so the Sky Island Alliance, they, they are conserving these really important really unique ecosystems because something I've learned through making this film that where you have changes or one ecosystem is changing into another, that's where you have the greatest amount of biodiversity. So that's why jaguars, I didn't even know jaguars were in Mexico. I always thought they were just- Like in the jungle? Yeah, they're all the way up in Mexico. Yep. I've, uh, and they used to come into Arizona. I don't know if one's been seen lately, but one we saw a few years ago. And then, yeah, there's bears and mountain lions and so many creatures. Yeah, it's just so unique. And it's part of the culture and part of the communities of, of, uh, of Southern Arizona and Northern Mexico. I first got connected with Skyland Alliance because I wanted to learn about the study that they're doing called the Border Wildlife Study. And that's where they put an array of cam, a grid of cameras in places where the wall had still not yet been built, the Trump wall. And they wanted to see how is this impacting the f migratory flow of animals? Because this is one of the last wildlife corridors. Yep. You know, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, people, animal, everyone is moving back and forth. That's how, that's how life is. We yeah. move. <laughs> We all move. We move. We move, and it's just, it's very, it has a cascading effect, not just on the animals, if you don't want to, if you don't really care about that, but on water systems, where our water system in the United States and in, in Mexico is actually connected in a lot of different ways, and some water systems loop back. They start in the United States, they go into Mexico and actually loop back into the United States. You can't just, nothing exists in a, in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. I mean, so that's, that's, that's that's what kind of really drew me because it just felt really palpable and real. I'm very concerned about climate change. I don't have children, but I, a lot of friends, dear friends of mine, are, are you know they're having kids, and I'm, I want them to have a world you know that that exists. Yeah. I'm a I'm a very privileged white woman, and I've I've grown up with a lot of and I live with a lot of privilege. But background of my my mother's parents, they were French. 
and they had to flee occupied uh, France. They were Jewish, French Jewish, and they had to flee France when it was occupied by the Nazis. Actually, my grandmother wasn't able to leave. She hid, but they had to, they hid in a town there. The mayor was really kind, and he, if Nazis came by, he's like, oh, Jews? We don't have Jews here. You know, they would lie. Yeah, my grandfather, Papa, he, when he was six. 1516 he crossed the he crossed the Pyrenees um, into Spain they had actually when he told the story to me he's like in the same way that in Mexico you have what you know what they call the coyote or the pollero they have um, they call them pasteurs that's the French term and they were the people you would hire to take you illegally into Spain <gasps> he was really lucky that his mom was friends with a guy who knew an underground network of basically of like you know of the same network of people that are traveling into the United States are trying to travel into the United States right now, seeking a better uh-huh. life. Those are networks exist in anywhere where people, no one wants to leave their home. No, yeah. they leave their home because they have no other option. It was, and it was especially scary. His mom was especially scared for her son, my great grandmother, because he was a boy. It was even more dangerous for them. Yeah. He made it to Spain. He was really scared. He wanted, you know, if the Spanish police caught him, they would just literally throw him back to the Nazis in France. I love- but he they made he made it to a a safe place in Barcelona. So I think about that. Like I'm not directly connected at all to in a family way or anything in terms of what's happening on the border now, but I'm connected. I mean, as I said, I we're all connected historically. We are all migrants. Yeah. We can't help it. That's how we're amazing creative creatures we have to move around and explore when i see when i when i look at the people who are coming over the border i mean they're people from everywhere there are so many people on the move the story that i the film that i'm telling i want to tell how the wall is hurting this amazing land it's hurting these communities but that it's also it's the wrong idea this is not we need to be figuring out how to integrate people bring them in the united states as it is is a nation of immigrants besides the indigenous people and i'm acknowledging that but besides that it was you know people continuously coming over and um i i'm hoping that the stories that we're telling that uh to show how you know, we're all, we're all human. We're all, we all have this one life, this one earth that we're yeah. living on. It's really precious and we need to take care of each other. I, I remember when, when we met and you offered me the opportunity to work with you filming in Sonora. And when you started telling mm-hmm. me about what you were doing about Una Linea film, I was amazed because you know, even, even though you've been saying, oh, I'm pretty sure you know about this, like you're from the border. So we're there, but sometimes like we get like desensitized or because we see that every day or we don't even pay attention anymore you know so sometimes it takes someone from outside Mm -hmm. to remind us wow this is going on in the border where you live and that's when like that's when it hits me you know like oh my god this is like right and like happening right in front of my eyes like what am i doing to help to push the the right narrative or to do something so when you came and when you told me about your project I was like yes like of course I I want to learn more about this I want to learn more about sky the sky island alliance I want to learn more about like this organization that is documenting what's going on um at the border with with their cameras like with their hidden cameras so it was 
very fun mm-hmm. to get to interview Miguel Enriquez. So Miguel is from Agua Prieta. So he has been working with Sky Island Alliance for a few years now. Started as an intern, I believe, and now he's mm-hmm. working with them. So when I was interviewing mm-hmm. him, we were going around this ranch where he had this cool cameras. He would open this... I don't even know how to describe it, like the those little cages where the cameras were. So he would open them, like get the SD card. So he opened his laptop, put in the SD card, and he started showing us all the pictures of animals that were caught by that camera. So that camera would usually snap a picture whenever there was movement, when some something was going on. He started showing us all those cool photos of animals i was so excited mm-hmm. yeah because miguel um he works with this project called photofauna um that is documenting they both on a professional level um are documenting i i say professional in that they have a certain process that they're documenting mm-hmm. with these cameras that you were just describing these motion sensor wildlife cameras uh, but he also helps coordinate people who keep cameras in their in their yards, wherever they have land. I think mostly, not just Agua Prieta, but other places in mm-hmm. Sonora. So it's also like everyday people can do this photofauna project. And there's a spreadsheet and you upload your photos and you get the details. And so that's a way to see like what creatures are around. And then he's also helping with the border wildlife study, which is this important multi-year project that on a more systematic level, because usually for... Um, wildlife cameras you want to put it near a water source or a a spot where you know an animal will come by but with the border wildlife study they have it on like a grid Uh so it might be random if an animal is then coming by but yeah he um i still haven't had a chance to meet him in person which is crazy uh skyland alliance is more i guess i would say on the advocacy side and studying and border um borderlands restoration network they actually grow cultivate wild plants and then they also help do restoration of land that's damaged either by too much too many cattle or runoff from roads that will then kind of create these ravines and I wanted to document their work because um, another theme of this film is how much work goes into maintaining uh, in terms of when I think of maintaining either you know helping the environment or wanting to show an opposite of the work that went into building the wall that I think is very destructive. I want to show these positive kinds of work. I also want, I guess, to maybe go back to some things that I was a little, I wish I had done a little differently in the Iron Triangle is I want to, I also want to show the positive things that are happening right now. That in fact, people are living their lives and they're they're doing well and that they're doing really cool things. We need to show this. Um, So whether it's Skyland Alliance, Borderlands Restoration Network, um, I got connected with, um, his name is Eric Mesa. He uh, works with the Sierra Club and he um, does these really amazing outreach campaigns and he's doing a really great work connecting both the environment and environmental racism and immigrants and the rights of indigenous people. You know, that all of this is happening right now, that even though those in power are um, spending all, wasting all of this money, putting concertina wire, barbed wire, fencing things off, destroying mountains, there are people who are doing beautiful work. And so I knew, connecting with Ami, I was like, ah, oh, this is amazing because I wanted to uh, connect with uh, people who are working in Sonora on the conservation side because it's the same environment. It's the same it's direct what happens in Arizona or what happens in Sonora it's connected either way and 
And um, so I wanted to directly hear from these people. And yeah, Ami was, and her mom, <laughs> her badass. <laughs> so yeah, you interviewed Miguel in, in October 2021. Yeah. I think, and then also, and then after that, you interviewed Angel. So I met Angel. Um, he's from Esqueda. I met him through Prudence. So Esqueda is like, a, like an hour away from Agua Prieta, Sonora. And Agua Prieta is a border town right next to Douglas, Arizona. So it's in the southeast, near the southeast of Arizona. I was able to interview Angel and he taught me a lot about manantiales and springs. So we went around town and, and the mountains and we were looking for springs. We were looking for water. So after that, Prudence was able to join us. So we all went there and had a great interview with mm. Angel and his mom. And they talked about all the work that, that Angel is doing with the project Spring Seeker with the Sky Island Alliance. Yeah, so I was living in Douglas at the time. I was teaching at Cochise College and um, living in Douglas. And Ami married Trini, her mom, and, um, and Ami's friend Carlos woke up super early, crossed into the United States. I think he got some breakfast, luckily. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was like, what, 6 a.m. or yeah, something? Yeah, it was very know. early. Picked me up in Douglas and then crossed back in. And yeah, then we drove an hour, kind of almost directly south, as you just said, to Escada. Um, it, was a it was a little rainy, as I remembered. And you start to see, uh, you know, you leave the city. It feels like a city and then it starts to recede. This was my first time actually going farther south into Sonora. I hadn't gone that far south and it was just interesting seeing the road changes and then you start seeing little towns and then you start seeing dinosaurs yeah. <laughs> dinosaur statues or about goats. fun fact about Esqueda they found dinosaur mm -hmm. footprints like fossils so now Esqueda is like dinosaur town or and we were able to visit those footprints it was it was beautiful yeah it was really cool you had already established a relationship with Angel and his mom we got to learn where Angel's love of nature came from and how he became involved with Sky Island Alliance and the work that he did specifically looking at water Manantiales Springs which is so I mean it's important anywhere in the world especially important in the desert it was amazing and I felt so blessed to to have to be working with you and that you also um were able, then your mom and Carlos uh it was a great team of people it was a really fun day we also got barbecue you know it was a long day uh, it was an adventure it was it, it was a whole adventure uh I had so much fun filming and oh the carnitas those were delicious so also if you go to Esqueda, Sonora, you have to try the, the carnitas. So dinosaurs and carnitas are what represent Esqueda <laughs> and the cool people. Oh yeah, you got a lot to do. There's a lot to do in Esqueda. Yeah, it was so it was so great um, to working with you and to like, I feel like I can now say you're my friend. Yes, um, yes. I hope, I hope so. <laughs> um, you're a very dear friend to me and I, I feel really lucky that we've met and collaborated and you've also met um, other people I've been working with. Another collaborator of mine who I met in uh, living in Douglas, his name is Sasha Kala Wangoma. He is originally from Zimbabwe. He wanted to move somewhere different. He wanted to move to the United States. He like randomly picked Cochise College <laughs> to go to school. And um, yeah, he's an amazing human filmmaker. He actually had his own film production company when he was in Zimbabwe. So he was like already a business person right out wow. of high school um he didn't go on the shoots that we were just speaking of but he has helped out on a lot of other shoots both as a production assistant and he's also 
filmed some things himself. My so. my love is sound. I do like uh, booming. I like mixing for the sound. I love. I I do love getting the unique sounds. I think that also just represent each place. And so I am not a vi- I'm not a cinematographer. Um, I don't have that eye. And so that it's just been. I felt I've been I felt so lucky to work with Ami, with Sebastian, with Sasha, uh, people who actually know. <laughs> You know, this looks good versus this. This is why we were going to do it this way. And I and I just trust you. I'm like, all right, yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it this way. No, thank you for trusting us. <sighs> thank you for, for your trust. I like the way you created this network of cool filmmakers in this short span that you've been in the border. That's That's amazing. Like you connected me to so many people that were so close to me, but I didn't even know know about them. And... I think that's that's a superpower you have, Prunens, of connecting people and Aww. uniting them for a good cause. So shout out to you for doing that and for uh, letting okay. me meet such amazing and talented artists. Same to you. Th- thank you, Prudence, for sharing um, about your process, about how you connect with people in the borderlands and about the project you're doing by documenting this area, Southeast Arizona, Northeast sonora so i just want to ask you like when is is una linea film premiering because i am so excited i am so excited to see what you've done yeah. and what also like all of the work that uh, your collaborators have done when do you think uh, una linea film is premiering first of all you will i'm going to be reaching out to you in the next month or so so you can get feedback on a draft oh. so But that's just that's just for you <laughs> and a few other people. But in terms of for the public premiere, I'm hoping to I'm hoping to show this in film festivals. I would eventually love if it could even maybe be shown on PBS, uh, you know, in or somehow uh, distributed that way. But I'm I'm right now I'm focusing on film festivals. I'm hoping that it'll be publicly available in spring 2024. Um, right now I'm in post production. I'm working on the edit. I have a great network of people that I will get to pull from in terms of helping me do color correction and all these other things that I have no idea how to do. Uh, so yeah, that's a process. Um, it's it's what's amazing about filmmaking, and I, I just am continually learning, is that it's so collaborative. It's so collaborative. You and um, and the story changes. Each person has their own hands in it, and I mean, it changes for good. It's not just one vision. There is a vision, but it's then other people are bringing their their points of view and guidance to it. Um, and so it's 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 a humbling experience sometimes because you also have to just know, like, oh, actually, I don't know what's the right way to do this thing, and I have to trust someone else. I'm gonna hand it off and just yeah, and I'm I I'm I'm gonna just focus a lot this the rest of this year and I look 2024. Keep your eyes peeled. Yes, we will. Uh, that is so beautiful, Prudence. Thank you for sharing all of this with us on this episode. We're excited, and hopefully, when Una Linea Film is ready, we'll we'll be able to promote it on our platforms, and people will be able to see how great the Borderlands are. Yeah, and I know I will be doing free screenings, you know, around, you know, and in Southern Arizona. So yes. And this is the end. I uh, hope to see you soon. Thank you, Amy. Thank you so much. Yeah, I hope to see you soon. Thank you for talking to me for so long. <laughs> This has been Artist Stories, featuring the stories of artists and arts organizations in our region. 
To listen to more podcasts, visit kxci.org. Artist Stories is a project of the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona, which is partially funded by the City of Tucson and Pima County. Music for this podcast was created by Jonathan Rodriguez. Thank you.